Only by the power of your blood, Lord, can we stand reconciled before you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. morning, everyone. I would like to introduce uh, my, our dear friend Tim Imbrock from Mission Aviation Fellowship, who's uh, headquartered now in Nampa, Idaho. And uh, we are blessed because the Great Commission tells us to spread the word to the far reaches of the world, and that's what the MAF does. So I'm so grateful that the Lord has let Tim and Carol come back to this body and share their ministry with us today. Tim? Thank you, Tim. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for Tim and Carol. Thank you for the example they set of the Great Commission. Thank you, Lord, for, for seeing the love of Christ in their lives. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would now indwell him Give him a boldness. Give him the love of Christ. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. turned on is that working now so it just proves that sometimes you have to tell your children once twice three times or more thanks Luke well it's wonderful to, to join you here today um, to be part of worshiping God today with fellow believers um, my name is Tim Imbrock my wife Carol and I have been serving with Mission Aviation Fellowship for lots of years, um, and God has given me a love for things that move in the air, things that move in the water. Um, he's given me a fascination with his creation. Um, I'm kind of a science guy and an, an aviation geek, I suppose. Um, and as the years go by, the things that I love come together in the work of missions and Mission Aviation Fellowship. I grew up in a family where my dad was a church planter, translator, and the Lord called him from a farming community in northwestern Ohio to the country of Papua New Guinea where he served among the Kewa people. So when we think of Revelation and we think of all who will stand there one day, um, these people who are a tribal group of people in a remote isolated mountain valley are going to be there because of the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And so a passion of aviation, a passion to respond to God's word. And as I've grown older, I, I love God's word more and more. And so God's word, his vision, his love for us, love for aviation and flying, these things come together. And um, I don't know, you might think that this is a, a great sacrifice that, that Carol and I are involved in, in uh, missions and mission aviation. I can only tell you, I confess that I love it. Um, and I don't know what else I would do, because 
um, as I grew up, I had the, the witness of my parents, um, and I had the witness of these mission aviation people who transformed life for my family as they served my family, using aviation tools and technology to bring blessing and healing in Jesus' name. And so, uh, without getting into MAF's work too much, um, our focus is really just what I just said. Um, God has called all, all of us to use our gifts, the things that God has given us, the way he's wired us, the things that we love um, to be used in his kingdom and for his glory. And so this morning, as we get started, um, let's turn in your, your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, go over to Mark chapter 7, and let me begin by reading God's word. And let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we come as regular people. We come from a world that's broken. We come with the scars of brokenness. We come with some of the doubts and concerns and questions that we as individuals have. And yet, Heavenly Father, we come this morning and in worship we're reminded that you have paid it all and that there is nowhere else to turn and that you love us with an everlasting love and you're the one who's going to transform us and make us more like your son. Heavenly Father, as we read and look into your word and as I speak, Heavenly Father, would you help me to share the words and the thoughts that you have put on my heart to share today through your Holy Spirit. And Heavenly Father, would your word go out and would there be great fruit as a result of your word indwelling our hearts. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage that I chose is Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and let me just read. And then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat anything unless they wash. And there were many other things which they received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his mother, let him be put to death, his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things that which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he'd entered a house away from the crowd, 
his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? But because but it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For within, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Wow, Jesus gets done speaking. And I don't know about you, but I reflect on my own self. And this is the reality. And this is a message that's a counterculture message. We have a world that says that you are just fine the way you are. You are perfect. Little children are perfect. They've done nothing wrong. They are perfect. They know even better than their parents. But if you're a parent, and if you're like me as a parent, we see our children and we're like, where did this come from? We didn't have to teach them how to be mean and nasty, to fight with their siblings, to bite each other. And Jesus is speaking to you and I, and we realize that all the message of the world is that you are just fine. The message of the gospel comes as a counterculture message and says, you are not fine. In fact, you are depraved. You are full of sin. The evil that's inside you is what comes out. And that's the problem. It's what is down inside my heart. And so today I've chosen the title, Don't Be an Actor, Be Transformed and Be Real. And so as I speak this morning, I want to share some things that speak about acting and being transformed and the reality of our sin and yet the reality of God, of God has changed us. And the hope of the message, as we've sung in our hymns today, is that Jesus has paid it all. You know, Jesus comes to us as a people today, and his word impacts us, and he says to you and me, you can do nothing without me. I don't know about you, but my mom word, word, warned me about using the word all, every, nothing, all things, okay? Jesus has no question whatsoever, no problem in saying, you can do nothing without me. And what do people like me and people like you, I shouldn't really speak about you, I should speak about me, what do people like me tend to do? You know, we are hands-on people, we're going to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, we're going to fly airplanes, we're going to go to these dangerous, difficult, and unforgiving airstrips that are slippery and slimy, short and steep, and we are going to get that job done. And what's the biggest problem we have? We sometimes think that, that we have it and we can do it. And Jesus' message to me, and as I speak to you today, is a message that we can do nothing without him. Years ago, I had an instructor who was a godly man who I respected tremendously. And I was concerned about the responsibility of the work that I was pursuing in aviation. And his response to me was, it seems you're a follower of Jesus. Tim, is that true? I said, yes. He said, well, then you have the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, hey, there's a new thought. 
And over here I had built this world of science and technology, and over here there were spiritual things, God and his word, two separate boxes, and I'm over here in aviation and things are good and I get this, and now I step over here and I'm in the spiritual realm and I mean, I grew up, my dad's a pastor, right? A church planner, a translator of God's word. I should know these things. And that day, this man put these two together for me and helped me to realize that it's one world, it's one box. God is sovereign over all and in all and through all. And he said to me, Tim, you know that you have a Holy Spirit, the helper. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I was taught about that. And he said, uh, have you asked the Holy Spirit to help you? And I was like, oh, nope. Hadn't done it. So I was feeling really poor. And in a very sweet and gentle way, he turned to me and he said, Tim, I think you should. Wasn't that a sweet invitation to follow Jesus? To have the Holy Spirit work in my life, in and through me, to open my eyes, to see, to have words, to speak that are God's words, to have filters in place so that that tongue that James talks about that's out of control and sets the place on fire, we have smoke and fire, we know what fires do, and the word, our words, unfiltered without the Holy Spirit, sets the world on fire. And so I see that I'm the one who needs God to work in me so that I can be his. I'm a beekeeper. I keep bees, and I find that they are fascinating. But there's one thing about beer, about bees. Anybody here afraid of bees? Anybody afraid of being stung? Or maybe how about fear in general? Anybody afraid of flying since I fly airplanes? A few of you? Okay. I like to ask a whole group of pilot, any, pilots, anybody here afraid of flying? And I put my hand up first, and they all kind of look at me like, What? You know, we have to be real. We have to be recognizing our fear. One of the amazing things about bees is that if you're calm, they remain calm. If you're fearful, they can tell you're fearful. And boy, they're going to turn and attack you because you must be an enemy. Otherwise, why would you be afraid? Or you're trying to be a thief. You're going to steal their honey. Well, that's me some days when I steal their honey. But in the midst of all of this, God is calling us to be real. We have to recognize that there's real fear. There are things that we should be afraid of. God's word tells us about real things that we should be afraid of. And then there are other things in my life, perhaps in yours, I don't know, that's really paranoia. And we, sh we don't have to be afraid of those things. And as we trust God and we fear him, we don't have to fear other things. Well, what about this message for today? In this first passage, in this first part of this passage, Mark tells us that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he says, you hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? In the Greek, a hypocrite was a play actor. And in those plays, those play actors, or the actors would wear a mask and they had different masks. And so they would put on a mask so that they could play that particular role in the play. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you guys are play actors. You're not real. You're just pretending to be a particular person. You are pretending to be followers of Jesus. Or we could even say, you're fake. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah in this passage, and he says, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. So wow, I don't know about you. Do you ever get afraid? You're in a new setting. You want people to think well of you. You, you want to present well. And so the first thing we do is we put up a mask. And I put on this mask to try to present to you somebody who is, I think, better than who I am. What does that really say? It, it says that I'm, I'm fearful about who I am. Because if you get to know who I really am, maybe you're not going to like me. Or maybe there are flaws and faults in me that are going to show up if I share the real person with you. And you're going to discover that maybe I'm not as good a pilot as maybe you thought I am. Or maybe I'm not as good a speaker or a teacher of God's word. Or, I mean, you fill in the blanks. We don't look as beautiful or as handsome as we would like to be. And so when we put that mask on, what happens? Fear grows. And we have an enemy who wants to feed that fear. And, you know, we put that mask up and people affirm us really well, and, and, and we're excited about that, but there's a problem there too. Because of the mask, the affirmation that we get goes only to the mask, and I'm the one behind the mask feeling more and more empty and more and more isolated and afraid than I ever was. And the enemy takes this, and he says, hey, way to go. Tim, you're just not as good as you think you should be or as other people think you uh, other, uh, as other, and other people think you are, and within a little short time, I've believed the lie of the enemy. And so as we go forward today, as Jesus confronts the Pharisees, he confronts us. What if my words don't act or don't match my heart attitude? Jesus confronts the, the uh, Pharisees and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's John chapter 14, verse 15. And this is one of the things that drives us. As God calls us to serve in ministry, for you, Luke, or for Carol and I in ministry, or any of you who participate in ministry, we are responding to God's commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the inference for those Pharisees is that they really don't love God. If they did, they would keep his commandments and they would teach others to do so. Well, as I've come here this morning, you have a pastor, you have elders, you have members of this church who love God genuinely. And one of the ways that I know that is that they are teaching you to do also, to follow Jesus, teaching him, uh, teaching you the words of God and his commands. Let me turn over to Jeremiah, if you have your Bibles with you. Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm going to take you back and forth a little bit uh, in Jeremiah. My Bible starts that section by saying, trusting in lying words. And down at verse 8 it says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? and then come and stand before me in this house? 
which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Wow, Jeremiah packs a punch. God has called each one of us. He has redeemed us. He has called us by name, and we are his. And you know what? If we stand in our world, and if we live the way the world does, if we live in sin, and we don't turn from our wicked ways, how can we stand in God's house and say, Lord, thank you for delivering and saving me? And then over in verse 23 through 28 there, But this is what I commanded them. Obey my voice. This is God speaking. And I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Verse 24. Yet they did not obey or incline that ear but followed the counsels and the dictates of their own evil hearts and they went backward and not forward. And since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early up and sending them, and yet yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. As we look back in our history, this is the history of God's chosen people. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a chance that we might be like the, the Pharisees. I think we would say, if God had shown up in person, and I had seen him, if he was a pillar of cloud right here before me today so that I could know how to follow him, if he was a pillar of cloud by a fire by night, if he had fed us and kept our clothes from wearing out and healed us from sickness and disease and provided water out of a rock, wow, if I had seen those things, boy, I would not be like these people. And unfortunately, I think the sad reality is that we're not much different than those people. You know, I don't know about you, but I need God to get a hold of me, God to show me that I'm going down the wrong path, to convict me with his Holy Spirit when I'm, I'm harboring wrong attitudes and motives and bring change from the inside out. Jesus goes on and he says, they have rejected the commandment of God in favor of their traditions. I don't know about you. Do you have family traditions? Things that, boy, every 4th of July, this is what we do. Or at Christmas Eve, this is how we do Christmas. Within our churches, I think even, it's really easy for us to say that, you know, we've always done it this way in our church. And boy, to change it, that's going to upset a whole lot of people because it's just not the way we've done things. And so again, as Jesus points the finger at the Pharisees, or we point the fingers at other people. And for me, as a flight instructor and a pilot, a follower of Jesus, standing before you, speaking to you about these commands, when I point the finger, I see right away there's three fingers pointing back at me. And the reality is, Tim, what about you? Tim, what about your heart attitude? How are you like these Pharisees? Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the world? Are you going to listen to the uh, traditions of men? Or are you going to listen to God? And are you going to trust in God's word? In our world today, really, the big question is, are you going to listen to the world? Is it man's world that you're going to... Man's word, not world. Man's word that you're going to stand on? Or is it God's word that you're going to stand on? 
And as I listen to Luke speak, and I least listen to Ken and others who have led you here, um, they are exhorting you to listen to God's word and follow God's word. And so our world would say it's just ten suggestions. And if you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I'm not going to go there and read all of these, but Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is reviewing the Ten Commandments. And in these Ten Commandments, we realize that God has clear instructions for us. And right away, we realize, man, we are not able to keep this. But the good news there is really great news. And I do want to read one verse there. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10. If you'd like to go over there with me. In my family, with my children growing up, we would always ask the question, is that in the New Testament or the Old Testament? And in this case, if you're looking for it like me there, it's in the Old Testament. It was helping our children learn. This morning we sang about how God's grace is more. And as I speak about how we are sinful, and we look at the mirror of the Ten Commandments and we see the attitudes that I have, the actions that are part of my life, the reality is I just don't measure up at all. But look at what it says here. It says, um, let me read here in verse 9. He says, don't bow down to these idols. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Wow. Look at the consequences of this. And we see it in our world. People who have chosen to do evil. God visits the consequences on these for three and four generations of those who hate me. And in Proverbs it says that those who hate me love death. They don't love life. But in the midst of that hard saying, look at this next passage in verse 10. But God shows mercy to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. In the song this morning, as Ben was leading us, I'm like, Ben, did you know that I was going to look at this? You know, his grace is more. His mercy is more. Not just a little bit more. Not just, like, you know, in, in contrast to three and four generations where the sin impacts those, we're talking thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And I don't know, I'm a grandfather now. I've got ten grandchildren. For my children and for my grandchildren, my prayer is, Lord, would you bless them? These promises for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus are real promises. Lord, would you cover them and would you help them to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus condemns the Pharisees as he speaks to them. And he says in Matthew 16, verse 6, he says, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Well, what was the doctrine of the Pharisees? Their doctrine was hypocrisy, legalism, political opportunism. I mean, we we read in history about the Jews and leaders and different rabbis, um, you know, trying to position themselves uh, for power, uh, spiritual hardness or hardness of heart or stiff-neckedness. 
Do any of these sound familiar to you? Sure sounds familiar to me. Seems like there are common problems in our world. And then Jesus gathers the multitude and he calls them to himself after he confronts the Pharisees and he says to them, it's the things that come out of a man that defile him, not which enter him from outside. So Isaiah says, uh, in, in, uh, in Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 4, that our sins have separated us from God. This is the reality. As Isaiah came to the people uh, and spoke about this, you and I were separated from God. But you know what? God's grace is more. Through Jesus Christ, the message of hope is that we have a future with him. Because, as Romans says, as he found us, caught us in the act of sinning, like I catch my grandchildren with their hand in the cookie jar after Grandma has said, no more cookies. And there's cookie crumbs all around their mouth. And there's a half-eaten cookie in their hand. And they just finished turning around. So I had seen the cookie, and I asked them, did Grandma say no more cookies? Hmm? And so we're caught in the act of sinning. But even in the midst of that, Jesus looks at us and he bought us back with that price. He says, you are mine. I'll pay that price and I'll redeem you. And you are mine forever. What about the reality of this? The people who are standing hearing Jesus speak, they too would have felt the same conviction that they were sinners. And Jesus and the preachers of that day John, who went before Jesus, whom we read, no one greater, no prophet greater was born of woman than John. John came with a message of repentance. Paul picks up this theme, and he speaks about the need for us to recognize that when we are on a path that leads to destruction or death, that we've got to recognize this, and we've got to do a turnaround. We've got to repent and go the other way. And that word repent actually means to do a 180-degree turn. It's like I'm going this way, and I turn around completely and go the other way. And one of the things that fascinates me about that is I spend a lot of time teaching pilots how to turn an airplane around and go the other way in a narrow, tight space in the mountains. And so when I fly with them, inside me as I think about this, you know, instead of telling them, okay, let's turn around and get out of here, I want to say on the headset and the intercom that we're talking on, repent, repent! Because <coughs> that's really what we've got to do. We've got to do this turn around, this 180 degree turn. And in the airplane, we have to add lots of power, and it's a steep bank turn to turn around and go the other way. And if you do that turn wrong, you can really mess it up and stall and spin and crash. And pilots who don't know how to do that turn well um, get themselves into lots of trouble in the mountains every year. And so as I equip pilots to make that 180-degree turnaround, Paul, in writing to us, John, in preaching to the people, is saying, turn around. This is how you need to turn around. You need to, first of all, recognize your sin, repent of that sin, and trust in God for his saving grace and mercy, and that his power would be at work in you. And so I can imagine this crowd that Jesus had spoken to They heard him. They're like, wow, this is not like the other rabbis. And then Jesus retreated, and then he speaks privately to his disciples. And this is serious reality. 
I just looked up a number of verses that speak about this, about the evilness that's in us. Mark chapter 7, 21 says, evil is from within the heart of man. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw every intent of man's heart and they were only evil continually. This is before Noah and the great flood. In Genesis 8, 21, we're told the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Proverbs 6, 18 says that God hates pride. How are we as people? I shouldn't say you. How about me? We're guilty of pride. God hates a lying tongue. When I don't speak truth, God hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood. We've just come through how many millions of children who have lost their lives in abortion. A heart that devises wicked plans. Those who sit down and plan and consciously figure out how they're going to do wickedness. Feet that run swiftly to evil. False witness that speaks lies of other people. And one who sows discord about, among brethren. Jeremiah says in chapter 19, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Matthew chapter 5, 19, we read, Jesus says, Out of the heart proceeds evil. These are the things that defile a man. Wow. In all of that, what hope is there for us? And some of us, we go forward with works. I'm going to do this better. Um, if you come from Idaho, we joke about how in Idaho, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you're a real man. You know, put your boots on here, Johnny. You know, we're in Idaho now. I suppose that probably applies to Nevada too, maybe other parts of the world, okay? And you know what? There is nothing wrong with desiring to do good. <clears throat> in fact, we're told um, that God has prepared good things in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2.10. In an eight, God says, the grace, God's grace, has done everything. And there's nothing you and I can do except to receive that gift, open that gift, apply it to our lives, and live out of that grace and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 10, because of what God has done in his grace and mercy, then let's get out there and do those good things. Um, a mentor of mine, Ian Stacy, and his wife, Joan, and t- today I met two Joans, and Jones, there's not very many Jones that I've known. And so these are, the name brings connotations of Joan um, uh, Stacy to my mind. And Ian Stacy was one of these guys. And one of his verses that he would tell you all the time is, you know, Ephesians 8, God has done everything for you. By grace, you've been saved. <clears throat> and then over in verse 10, he says, and he's prepared good works in advance for you to do. So I don't know about you. What are these good works that God has prepared for you? <clears throat> the works of the flesh, <clears throat> they're not going to accomplish anything. But these good works that God has prepared in advance for you, um, practice these things and you will inherit the kingdom of God. And so, I don't know if you're a mom. If you're like the da- my daughter, who is a mom of seven little children, my goodness, those good things that God has prepared in advance for her is to care for those children, to change dirty diapers, And there's another child who's on the potty saying, Mommy, I'm done! Mommy, I'm done! And she's being called to this good work. There's a never-ending stack of dirty dishes. There's a never-ending pile of dirty laundry. And I don't know, for some of you men, the work that God has called you to, maybe it's hard, maybe it's difficult. 
Um, God has called us to that work. What opportunities are there in the midst of what God has called you to do that you can do for him? And if we look for those, I believe we will find them. And so what's the message of hope for us today? The just shall live by faith. This story goes all the way back to Abraham and our early church fathers that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. They were men of faith who stepped out trusting God, and they were men of action. They just didn't stand over here and say, yeah, I trust you, Lord. When God said, go, they stepped out and they went. And years ago, as God called Carol and I to serve, we stepped out in faith. We left Ohio and Minnesota, and we went to Papua New Guinea. Um, I had grown up there, and so I had a little bit of an idea what that was like. But as a family going forward, it required us to trust God in new ways. And I find today God is calling me to trust him in new ways. So to wrap up, how do we be real? How can I be real and be transformed? First of all, I want to tell you that God has worked to change my heart. I walked in here today and I met your pastor Luke, and he had left what he did to serve as a pastor and encourage you as people because he loves people more. My story is I don't love people. The problem is I don't like people. That was my natural state. Have you noticed how messed up people are? I was a hypocrite just like the, children, like the Pharisees. I am glad to receive God's grace and mercy for me. But boy, those people over there, man, they are messed up and they are a waste of time. <clears throat> That's really where I was. God has had to work in my heart to change me, to help me recognize that that person over there that drives me crazy, that individual over there who I disagree with, um, those are people that God loves so dearly. And he has given me a love for people. There was a point in my life where I cried out to God, I have had it with people. I don't have any love for people anymore. If you work in service and you work with people every day, um, I see some people nodding out there. You've encountered some of these people. And on that day, I cried out honestly to God, a heart cry prayer, nothing pretty at all. Lord, I, I just don't have any love for people anymore. And that means that I'm a fake and I'm a fraud and I'm a hypocrite too. And you know what? In that moment, God responded. And I believe he spoke out loud because I've heard him impress things on my heart. I've had him impress things on my mind through his Holy Spirit. That day, I believe he spoke it out loud in the car because I was getting in the car, driving to town in a little town, trying to find toilet parts to fix a toilet for one of our mission families who were struggling. And because they were struggling, they were not very gentle. And that's why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And in the midst of this holy mission, fixing toilets, okay, um, God spoke out loud and he said, it's okay, Tim, I know. They killed my son. And it's going to be all right. I'm going to fill you up with love so that you don't run out. I want to tell you that I was a transformed man that day. I was the happiest man in a hardware store trying to find plumbing parts that would fit. And when I came back, I ran up the stairs and I threw the door open and I said, Carol, I'm home and I have have love for people again. And the look on her face told me everything. 
She knew I'd been running pretty close to the edge, and I'd gone over the edge. I'd lost it. But as the days and weeks went by, the love that God had given me, the restoring work that he'd done in my heart, did not wane. And so today, I have to stand before you and say, I have to be real. I have to tell you that I didn't love people, but God has given me a love for people. I ran out of energy. I ran out of the ability to love. And God said, I'm going to be your provider. I'll fill you up again so that you don't run out. And his word has been true. And that's my story today. And as I go forward, being real today, and I don't know about you, but I have to be real with my family. And it means that there are times when I get it wrong and I have to turn to my wife and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Would you let me try again? There was a day when my teenage son put his hand on my shoulder. I thanked the Lord for his maturity. And he said, Dad, you don't need to be angry with us. We haven't done anything wrong. And he was right. I was crabby and I was grumpy. But look at the gentle way that he approached me. I thank the Lord that God was working in his heart and growing him. And so he was able to speak gently. And I, need to turn, I needed to turn to my family that day and say, would you forgive me for being grumpy? And let me try again. God goes before us in the midst of all of these things to give us a hope and a future. And as you and I go forward really, recognizing that I am fearful of things, there are things that I'm paranoid about and I shouldn't be paranoid about, but I need to bring to God and say, God, I realize these things are just paranoia. Would you help me to really be afraid of things that are worth being afraid of? And would you help me to trust you? He is faithful. And as we go forward in faith, faith is believing God. Believing God is taking steps of faith. It's an active process. And every day as I get in an airplane and I go flying, I am trusting that the laws of physics work. Do you know that nobody, no pilots, no aviation airline operation. The FAA doesn't require that you go out and do a test before you go flying to check and see if gravity is still working. I mean, have you thought about what happens if gravity fails? You know, Or what about the, the aerodynamic laws that control how an airplane flies? What if those things changed all of a sudden? The FAA doesn't require that I go out and check those things because God has made those things. He has made our world the laws that exist. He's the lawgiver, the Ten Commandments. He is the creator of the laws that govern how airplanes fly and how our world functions, how electricity works. And our world says, all of this is an accident. I don't think so. I have accidents at my house, and it's not like this. It's not organized, and it doesn't function reliably every day. And so I want to encourage you that as you take these steps of faith, trusting in God, he is faithful. But what about these what about these faithful people who have followed him? I want to warn you that there are some things that happen to those who are faithful. Some of those faithful died, and they never saw the kingdom of God established. Some of us may see the kingdom of God coming in full. We might have to wait till heaven. Some of us have seen miraculous deliverance, God's answer to prayer, and miracles happen. This afternoon at the potluck, I want to share about some of those that I've experienced. And then there are others that we read about in Hebrews. They're tortured, they're mocked, 
They're whipped and beaten. They're imprisoned. They're stoned. They're destitute. They're afflicted. And they have no homes. That is also true for those who put their trust in God. And so I come to you today to remind you that we've got to be real. And if you're going to be real, you're going to have to let God change your heart. Do that change from the inside because we read about the reality of who we are as people. And if we look in the news and we look around our world, we see the expanse of evil and what evil does in the lives of people. So the question for you and the question for me is, will we trust God? Will I trust God with that next difficulty? Will I talk to him and ask him about the things that I need? He says, come to me like a child asking. I've got grandchildren. They come asking granddad, expecting that granddad can provide the world everything that they could imagine. And Jesus says to us, come to your father. He can, and he is faithful. So as you go forward today, let me challenge you to go forward as Paul exhorts us to go. Paul says, follow Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Run to win. That means giving up everything. And then later on he says, run so that you finish. I'm starting to get to a stage of my life where it's more about finishing. And, and, and how do we do this in finishing well? And at, the other, and at the same time, Paul reminds us that it is God in you, Christ in you, who is our hope and glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you that you're good and great. Without you, we are nothing. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to do the good things you prepared in advance for us to do. Heavenly Father, would you make us new from the inside out. Give us a new heart and a new mind. As we ask you and seek you, you're faithful. And through the work of your Holy Spirit to empower us, we can go forward to do those things you've prepared by your strength and for your glory. We praise you and thank you for how you've worked in our lives today. And would you help us to be faithful to bring this message to the ends of the earth for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.